a great joy to be here. I can't really describe my emotions, which are running pretty deep right now, both for the privilege of being back here in Davison and uh, for this time of worship. I was wondering what it would have been like to have just uh, stayed in prayer. Uh, Probably uh, to some of you the scripture has come, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. When I was a young man, I used to pray, and I still do on occasions, but maybe not as often as I should, uh, to God, whatever it takes, Lord, in uh, this nation to bring us to our knees and our face to you, then let it happen. And I've prayed the same thing for myself, whatever it takes to make me the kind of man that you want me to be, then let it happen, whatever it is. Uh, I hope that the church, I I was thinking, Glenn, that all across the country today, God's people are praying, crying out to God for help. It's good. It's really good. But let's not let it pass. Let's stay focused on the Lord and continue to pray. Well, uh, I'm not going to preach on that verse, but I thought I'd mention it. Thank you for inviting me back. That was a surprise, but I I accept it gladly. And I, I look out across this congregation. There are new faces. I'm not surprised. I knew the church would be growing, and you are. And I'm thankful to God for that, and there are faces that are so familiar, and you invested so much in our lives, and Janet and I, even though it was a fairly short chapter of our life, it is a chapter that is, has a, has several stars next to it. Uh, This was beautiful. This was wonderful. This can't get better than this. Why would people take a retiree and let him have so much fun, and all kinds of things like that. (laughs) Heavenly Father, uh, speak through your word to our hearts, and uh, thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's not what you know, but who you know that counts. That's a pretty common phrase in our culture, right? It's actually a common phrase in the world. Because many times a person who thinks they should get a particular promotion, someone else gets it, and the phrase comes out, it's not what you know, it's who you know that counts. Uh, There's actually some truth to that. The Apostle Paul kind of says it's really not what you know that counts, but who you know. He talked about losing something and gaining someone. 
the Apostle Paul had incredible advantages. Everything was going good for him. His nationality, his upbringing, his education, his job, his associations. They were all pluses. All advantages. And on top of that, he was successful. He was a productive man. As to the law, which was prominent in his culture, he claimed himself to be faultless. And I expect he was. He taught the law of God, and he taught all of the laws that mankind had added to that law. And then he lived them out. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee which was the most respected order of his day. In fact, R.C. Sproul says that through their singular devotion to the pursuit of holiness, the Pharisees achieved a level of popular respect for piety and righteousness that was without parallel. They had no peers. They were accorded lofty praise. They were welcomed to the privileged seats in the banquet halls, and they were admired as experts in religion. And the, the Apostle Paul, Pharisee Saul, was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. Uh, and what does he say about it all? Well, this is what he says. I once thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them as worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All of his great advantages, all of his great accomplishments, he declared worthless. Isn't that amazing? You look back across your life and you say, that was worthless. Okay, that's what Paul did. Paul had been transformed. He was a new creation. He had a new powerful focus and he invites us into his focus. He takes us on a five-step venture. He shows us the way to live a forward, transformed, full of life, abundant life, a holy life, a fruitful life. And his first step in this procedure is the most essential one for it gets us on the right road and narrows the focus of our lives to the one supreme principle in the Word of God. He says, I want to know Christ. He didn't say, I want to know about Christ. But I want to know Christ. We know a lot about many people. I've read both of the books that were written by former President George Bush. Back a little while ago, I was 22 miles from where he was. But I don't know him, right? When was the last time you had breakfast with, with President Obama and listened to his hurts, his fears, his hopes, his hang-ups, his beliefs, his joys? We know a lot about him, but really we don't know him. And, when, when, and, and there are a lot of people who tell us a lot of things about Christ who don't actually know him. Paul knew a lot about him. In fact, Paul tried desperately to destroy him. 
but he was encountered by Jesus. He submitted to him. He came to believe in him. And this changed his whole world view. It changed his whole perspective on life. And now his aim became simple and focused. I want to know Christ. Isn't this an amazing thing? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. How can we know him? Well, what if he is God? You see, God can do anything. God can make himself known. A lot of religious people stumble over this. One of my friends, who is a, a server at McDonald's, is named Aisha. We talk about God quite a lot. And she told me a couple of weeks ago, we just need to do more good than bad. Then God will accept us. But that's not knowing God. That's taking a guess about what God is like. Shami is a researcher at Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo, New York. He took his little girl, Siam, to preschool at uh, St. Benedict's Roman Catholic Church, which is just down the road from us. And he would go in there some days uh, to be a parent volunteer when the priest was teaching the little tykes. Uh, there as a Muslim, Shami heard about Jesus, about his death on the cross, about his taking the punishment for our sins in his own body, about his resurrection. And then one day, about a year ago, uh, Shami got in the mail, a general mailing from our church, inviting him to come, and he came. He heard the message that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. He believed. <laughs> he was baptized. He came to our house and became a part of our small group. And if you're around Shammy at all, you know that he knows Jesus. I mean, his life has been totally transformed. He has a personal relationship with God. It's amazing, really, that that can occur. But it does. We can know Christ. And if it's a good relationship, it gets better and better. We get to know him more and more. In fact, my hunch is that throughout eternity, because God is past finding out, we will be getting to know him better and better forever and ever and ever. What a relationship. What an opportunity. What a God. And so Paul says to, to, to us, and I hope we all say the same thing, I want to know Christ. But he goes on from there and he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. We all need power, don't we? We need power to overcome all kinds of things like unhealthy habits and enslaving addictions and unholy behaviors and destructive attitudes. Think about this. Jesus was nailed to a cross. A Roman soldier thrust a spear into his side. He was taken from the cross and placed in a tomb. A large stone was placed over the entrance of the tomb and the Roman seal was placed on it so it couldn't be touched and soldiers were put there to guard over it. And God's Holy Spirit showed up two days later. 
and moved the stone away and touched the dead body of Jesus and he was raised from the dead and walked away. And the Bible says he is the first of all who will rise from the dead, meaning we will too if we're in him. There is no power, no power like the resurrection. No hurricane, no earthquake, no volcano, no tornado, no bomb, no rocket, no computer. Nothing comes close to the power of the resurrection. America likes to describe itself as the most powerful nation in the world, which in world terms we probably are. But God looks at the world and says, it's my footstool. Can we know Christ? Can we know God? Yes. Can we know and experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus? Yes. By faith and through obedience to Him. Jesus said to His disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and you will tell people about me everywhere. If there is a power that enables us and motivates us to open our homes, our lives, and our mouths to tell people about Jesus, then there is a power that will motivate us and can motivate us and enable us to overcome anything that keeps us away from being the holy people that God calls us to be and wants us to be and that we want to be. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> the power that we have as God's children can only be described by the resurrection of Jesus. It is resurrection power. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he goes on. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Oh, this sounds like a dramatic shift of purpose and focus. To know Christ, yes, of course. To have power like the power of the resurrection, of course. But to enter into the sufferings of Jesus? Think about it. If we come to know Jesus through faith, putting our trust in Him, our lives are changed. They simply are changed. Sometimes that change is so dramatic that everyone knows it. Sometimes it's more subtle, but it changes over time significantly. Putting our trust in Him, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our lives, and our perspectives change. We begin to think in ways that honor God. We begin to act differently. We are on a different road. Isaiah the prophet said it is the highway of holiness. We, are not only, we not only want to know Christ, we want to become like him. And Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as the suffering servant. When his friend Lazarus died, the Bible simply says Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Well, certainly he wept because a good friend of his had died. But perhaps at the root of his sorrow was the reality of the impact of sin on his creation, that it results in death. Matthew records the word of Jesus as he reflected on the holy city. O Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather you, your children, together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. You see, those who know Jesus Christ, those who live in the power of his resurrection, get really broken over the conditions in our world. We get beyond ourselves. We break away from self-centeredness, compassion, grows inside of us. You know, the word compassion means with suffering and involves entering into the suffering of another in order to lead them out of that suffering. This is what Jesus did. He saw our sin and he did not condemn. He loved. He gave. He took the death penalty that belonged to us. And so, as children of God, as followers of Jesus, we shy away from the worldly reflections like it serves him right, or it's her own fault, or do you know what he did, or what a jerk, and so forth. Dear children, wrote John, let us stop saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. In our extended family, we all have extended families, right? In our extended family, we have atheists, agnostics, alcoholics, drug addicts, homosexuals, high school dropouts, pastors, doctors, lawyers, engineers, the dirt poor, the filthy rich. Around some of that we rejoice. Around others we enter into the sufferings of Christ. Around them all we love and pray and give and hope. Perhaps those who love the deepest actually end up suffering the most. This was the case with Jesus, wasn't it? The suffering of Jesus is not only a sentimental response to the hurts and heartaches and sins of the world. When he observed the deep injustice and theft being practiced by the temple money changers, he drove them out and turned their tables over. The meanness of groups like Isis and Baccaroton bring suffering to us in various ways. We grieve when we hear of severed heads and massacres and enslavement. The suffering stirs anger in us at times and moves us to try to do something in every place and in every way that we can. At the same time, we wonder what factors contributed to young men and women strapping explosive to their bodies and detonating in them in public places. Young people persuaded in a wrong way that could have been persuaded perhaps in a good way. And we have compassion for them. We have mixtures of feelings. Anger and remorse flood our minds. They motivate our prayers and 
bring us somehow into the sufferings of Jesus. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where uh, we long that our police will be respected because we know that they, because the scriptures tell us that they are servants of the living God, here to protect and to uphold the laws that we believe are good and right. We hunger and thirst for healing among the races of our nation. We know that there are deep-seated hatreds that can only be overcome by Jesus. And we know that Jesus himself is interceding for us and for our world. And we join with him in this intercession. And we roll up our sleeves and we welcome the ungodly and we welcome the sinners and we welcome people of all races, of all genders, of all persuasions, of every kind. We welcome them because Jesus loves them and we love them. And we want them in Christ. Blessed are those who mourn, said Jesus. We mourn for the sins of the world. We mourn for our own sins. And I don't know about you, but um, the person I've had the most trouble with in this world is myself. And so it becomes easier to look on someone else who's going through struggles and heartaches and temptations and failures and mess-ups and to come alongside them and help them bear their burden and suffer a bit with them to enter into the sufferings of God. I want to know Christ, yes. I want to live in the power of the resurrection, of course. But please, God, help us to enter into the sufferings of Jesus. I want that too. And then he goes on again, becoming like him in his death. Why would we want to be like Jesus in his death? Why not just be like him in his life? It was a wonderful life. Well, Jesus reached the pinnacle of love when he gave up his life to rescue us, to redeem us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No greater love has anyone than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. So this objective to be like Christ in his death is a pretty lofty goal, but it's a good goal. All the furies of hell were unleashed on Jesus. The crowds that Jesus loved yelled to him, crucify him. The soldiers mocked him. He took into his bodies the, the sins of all the world for all time, your sins and my sins. He bore them all. He experienced the wrath of his holy father who turned away from the sight. And what was he like as he died? He turned to John, one of his apostles, and he said, John, take care of my mom. Watch over her. He heard the appeal, the appeal of a dying thief next to him, and he turned to the thief or said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He looked out at the people who were mocking and crucifying and yelling uh, curses at him, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And then as a child lays down at night and says, Now I lay me down to sleep, Jesus looked to his father and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Can we be like this? If we know Christ, we're on the right path. If we live in the power of his resurrection, our lives become much more than we ever thought they could be. If we enter into God's perspective of the world and begin suffering and serving as he does, we get internally transformed. Our love for God and for people grows and grows until we discover that no matter how heavy the cross we must bear, our trust, our attitude, and our actions really do reflect the beauty and wonder of Jesus on the cross. And why does Paul want to be like Jesus? And why does he want to impact the world for Christ? And why is he willing, even desiring, to suffer for the sake of the Lord? And why is he so ready to surrender self-interest, becoming like Jesus in his death? He tells us, so somehow to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. To those who ministered with Jesus, who suffered with him, he promised, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said, those who believe in me, though they die like everyone else, will live again. And at the end of the Bible, in the final revelation of Jesus Christ, he made one more appeal to a broken world, to a sinful world, to his cherished missing, one more appeal to us, his children. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to all who are thirsty. I will give the springs of water without charge. All who are victorious will inherit the blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. Come, he says, come. Let the thirsty ones come. Anyone who wants to, let them come and drink the water of life without charge. I want to know Christ. I hope you have a life verse. This is my life verse of the last 37 years. If you don't have a life verse, This one's not a bad one to take on. (laughs) Get a life verse. It'll help transform your life. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so, somehow, somehow, Glenn, (laughs) to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Uh, we heard from God today. So we, we better take a moment and let what God just said to us sink in, don't you think? I mean, I got stuff to do today. Anybody else? But I don't have anything more to do, more important to do, than to hear the word and do it. Let's pray. Lord, in these holy moments at your feet. 
we receive what you have said to us. We receive the invitation to know Christ. And Father, if there's anyone in this room who's not clear on that, who's not sure about that, may this be their moment of faith. Even as Bishop Snyder told us of his Muslim friend who gave his life to Christ. Lord, there are people who consider themselves Christian and come to church but don't know you, know about you, but don't know you. So may this be our moment of faith. Jesus, we turn to you. Our hope is in you. We need you. Forgive us. Come and live your life in us. Lord, I believe all of us in this room who sincerely pray and open our heart and life to you. You come in. You promise you do. So give us that assurance of a new life in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we need power. We need power to overcome temptation. We need power to overcome our our self-centeredness, the attitudes that are unlike you. Give us your power to live new lives. And Lord, as we listen to the whispers of your spirit in our heart, Forgive us. Change us. Make us strong in our faith. And Lord, there was that holy moment when Richard was describing his extended family and the good and the bad and the broken and the struggling. And he ended us by saying that for all of them, the answer is love. Change our hearts. Fill us with your love. Not only now, but day after day, moment by moment. May we suffer with those who need it. And then, Lord, those last words about overcoming death by the power of your life power of the resurrection. Lord, our hope is in you. I pray that we would be filled up with the fullness of Jesus, that we would be alive in you, that we would experience what you promise in your word, life and life to the full, life that's really fully alive. Life we can't keep and won't keep to ourselves. We lean into you. We're desperate for you. We want to be more and more like you, and we thank you that you want that for us, and you're here to help us. Let's stand together. Would you stand? And so, Father, as we close this service, we close it with faith and hope in the living Lord Jesus. We pray that you would make us part of the solution to the challenges around us, both in our personal lives and our community and in this nation. As we go, Lord, may we not forget what you have spoken into our hearts. 
And may we live it as we live for you. Go with us now. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Lord go with us all. Amen.